0: Welcome everyone to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now here's the show. Welcome to the Talking Reef Podcast, a weekly talk show that brings you topics and discussions on marine and reef aquariums. I'm your host, Rob Weatherly. I wanted to start out this show uh, by mentioning that the September uh, Tank of the Month contest, uh, as far as entries goes, has ended. Uh, The entries are going to be gathered together. The top five will be picked out of that, and they will be posted up on the Talking Reef website for everybody to vote on. Uh, So that's probably going to happen in the next uh, few days, so keep an eye on that. Uh, I think uh, probably by Saturday or Sunday the entry should be up, so make sure that you head over to TalkingReef.com and vote for the winner for the Tank of the Month contest for September. Another quick thing that I wanted to mention, Now I'm going to get into the details of this after the show or after the topics that we're going to cover, but I just wanted to let everybody know that we're going to be doing um, a new it's called the Shirt of the Week type thing. Uh, and it's t- Basically, Talking Reef has started uh, officially selling various apparel. We're going to be doing shirts, sweatshirts, uh, all that different types of stuff. We've got a lot of stuff available. We put a lot of work into getting this stuff together. Um, but uh, stay tuned to the end of the show so you can hear how this uh, Shirt of the Week thing is going to work. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the first topic, uh, we're going to be discussing something regarding feeding corals. Uh, This is a topic that came up in the forums, and I thought it would be a good thing to kind of reach out and uh, let everybody know about. And as we get into this first topic, I want to remind everybody that this show is sponsored by Coral Dynamics. Coral Dynamics specializes in quality captive propagated corals, clownfish, cardinal fish, and seahorses. Make sure you head over to CoralDynamics.com and check out all the great specials, sales, contests, and everything that they've got to offer. So now, getting into this con- this uh, not contest, we're talking about a topic here. Um, the the topic here, and it's about feeding corals. Now, uh, some of the questions that come up in, that had come up in the forums were: uh, Do corals need to be fed? Uh, how do we feed them? This, that, and the other thing. And specifically, uh, the question came up about you know, do they even have mouths to eat with? Do all corals have mouths? Do all corals need to be to be fed? And do they eat? Now, in an attempt to answer this, I I, I could kind of go and cut right to the the point and answer that, but that just wouldn't be talking reef style. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give you a little bit um, of the basics behind that. Now, to start off with, I'm going to, you know, corals are all in in the phylum called nadaria. Now, I'm going to give you the definition of this as it's it's given in Wikipedia, Uh, and this should kind of set the foundation here. Uh, Nadaria, which is spelled C-N-I-D-A-R-I-A, I'm sure you've all seen it. Uh, The C is silent, and it's not pronounced, it's pronounced Nadaria. So, Nadaria is a phylum containing some 11,000 species of relatively simple animals found exclusively in aquatic, mostly marine environments. Nidarians get their name from Nadiaocysts which are specialized cells that carry stinging organelles. The corals, which are important reef builders, belong here, as do families of sea anemones, jellyfish, sea pens, sea pansies, and sea wasps. Nadarians are highly evident in the fossil records, having first appeared in the Precambrian era. Now, this really is going to lay some of the foundation. It really gives some basic biology, um, organizational history, uh, as, as, to how these, you know, where corals fit in, in, I guess the, the family tree of, of all life and how they're classified. Now, the important thing uh, that I wanted to get across here is that corals fall into the same category as these, uh, sea anemones and jellyfish and sea pens and, and so on and so forth, uh, in that they, they all have these stinging cells. Uh, these stinging cells are what's used, uh, you know they're used for defense and the key thing here is they're used to capture food Uh, and they all have these mouth parts now they're technically they're not called mouths they're they're usually referred to as mouth parts they're uh you know as in most uh, animals that are at the basic level like this it's you know it's this everything that goes in the mouth also comes out this mouth so it's more like a mouth part it's everything goes in and out the same spot Uh, i know it's lovely graphic (laughs) um so now that we know that they all have these mouth parts, uh, and they all do have the ability to catch food, uh, does that mean that they all need to be fed? And the answer to that is absolutely. All corals, every coral that you put in your tank, must eat. Now, the the big question here is, what do they eat? Now, when it comes to certain corals that we're familiar with, uh, we'll start off with the most basic, and uh, for these corals, they're going to indirectly be fed with light. Now, really what's happening here is we're feeding the zooxanthellae. The zooxanthellae are the photosynthetic symbiotic algae uh, that are present within the tissues of these various types of corals. And what happens is you being like most uh, photosynthetic creatures, algaes and plants, uh, they're going to metabolize the use the light to metabolize certain compounds and create uh, sugars and food sources, basically. And then what happens to zooxanthellae, and we had the full zooxanthellae show. So if anybody wants to go back and check that out, we're gonna, that show goes into a lot more detail. And I'm not going to go into that here. But essentially, the zooxanthellae are... Extremely efficient in this process, and they are uh, great overachievers, if you will. They produce far more food than they could ever need to, you know, consume. Now, of course, this is in optimal conditions. Uh, so, what happens is this excess food is then passed into the cor- to the coral, and the corals eat this, and uh, the symbiotic relationship is formed. So the Corals are providing a home, protection, and everything for the for the zooxanthellae, and then the zooxanthellae in return uh, provide uh, this food back to the coral. Uh, so that's the first and basic level of you know feeding the corals so a lot of the you know a lot of times when you've got this you know an acropora yangi in your tank and the comment is made no you don't need to feed it it's you know do you just leave it in your tank well the reality there is you are feeding it you're providing it light and if you don't provide the light as a food source well then it's going to die uh, we all know that if we stick a coral in the dark it's it's not going to survive and that's why because that's it's that's a primary source of food Albeit indirectly, uh, because, like I mentioned, the food is coming from the zooplankton. So, taking that to you know, let's go kind of move on to the next step here. Uh, you know, some of them that are actually catching and consuming some foods, and we're gonna uh, some particulate foods. You know, we can look at stuff like phytoplankton. There's all different types of phytoplankton, which we are going to be discussing in future shows. Uh, and they all have different nutritional values, good, better, and different. Corals are going to consume uh, not all corals, but some corals will be consuming phytoplankton uh, This is going to work in the exact same way uh, they 're going to use these polyps that contain these mouth parts and they 'll catch and consume the phytoplankton now there's other methods where in that the phytoplankton can be absorbed uh, through the tissues uh, this is uh, you know it 's said to be done in uh, anemones and I believe in corals also. Uh, I don't know the specifics or the details on exactly how common that happens or in what species it happens, but it's something that I I have come across and it has been noted before. So, you know, going to the next step, you've got the zooplankton. Now, zooplankton are going to include rotifers uh, and small microcrustaceans that are going to be in the water column. And then the coral can use these polyps and these stinging cells that are on these tentacles on the polyps to capture these, stun them, and consume them. Uh, so some of the zooplankton, like I mentioned, rotifers. A lot of the foods that are eaten, uh, such as cyclopses, is considered a type of zooplankton, even though it's it's not alive. It was at one time, uh, and these are you know all going to be fed as certain types of coral food again for specific corals uh, you know the ones that are going to consume these uh, and then other you know micro food sources such as you know oyster eggs golden pearls uh, and you know various other products i'm not going to get into listing them all there's there's loads of specific coral uh, food sources and then there's even uh, coral nutritional supplements that are come in the form of liquids that are you know giving you um, you know various fatty acids and lipids and stuff like that that corals are going to need uh to consume and those are those aren 't necessarily a food source but they're more nutritional supplements that are needed by by the coral so that 's covering uh a majority of it, and we 're going to kind of wrap that up with uh the last thing that corals commonly eat and this is a thing that uh we're most probably most familiar is when we have uh, the, the corals that need to actually be fed some sort of meaty food. Now, again, this is going to kind of cross over with the zooplank- zooplankton in that it can be uh, cyclopses getting into a little bit bigger, it can be uh, the Nopoli, uh, the baby brine shrimp, uh, it can be adult brine shrimp, it can be uh, even bigger stuff like table shrimp, pieces of table shrimp, clam, oyster, squid. Small pieces of of these uh, meaty foods that are caught up in, you know and in, in fed to it, either uh, target fed or you know free flowing in the water column. Now, again, I, I could probably go on for hours uh, you know going into all the details, but the p- point that I wanted to mention here is you know, and get across is that yes, all corals uh, have mouths, and they all need to eat. They are animals. they need a food source. Now, where that food source is can vary. Make sure that you take some time, do a little bit of research on your coral, understanding where they are. Uh, a general rule, and I really want to make sure it's stated clear, it's, it's general. Um, if they have a large noticeable mouth, uh, and these are commonly referred to uh, with the corals that are, you know, that hobbyists classify as the LPS, or the large polyp stony corals, uh, this doesn't apply to all of them. That's why the LPS classification is a bad classification because it's it's very generalized and it doesn't really mean as much as it should um, or as people think it does. But commonly, the corals that are going to fall into this are corals that have larger polyps, which means that they have larger mouth parts. These are the ones that you can more easily feed large particulate pieces of food. Does it mean that they need it? No. They Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they do. If the coral is not capable of getting its light or its food from the light, in, in this case, that's something we call autotrophic. If it's not autotrophic, uh, then it needs to be fed supplemental feeding. Uh, and that's kind of where these, these meaty foods come in. So if you're going to look at something like a fungi, plate coral, or your trumpet candy cane corals, or if you're going to look at the euphilia species, you know, you're going to talk about your hammer corals, or you can get into your frog spawns, um, most of these do have a mouth part on them, and if you look at something like a a hammer coral, uh, or more specifically, it's actually kind of interesting. Is there's a, a certain type of hammer coral? Uh, I think the common name is a wall hammer, and what it is is instead of having these branching uh, these branches with the, the all the polyps coming out the end of the branch, it's kind of like a long wall, and along the top is all of the coral tissue. And that's where all the polyps come out. And if you ever notice when they retract the polyps in or if the current's blowing them apart, you can see all this whole series of mouth parts running all the way down. And what you can do is you can drop small pieces of food in there and they will grab that and they'll eat it. Now, most of the corals in that will fall into a category like this, they'll usually take food if it's placed in there. If you try to spot feed them, they'll take it and they'll consume it. And you really want to keep an eye on the coral. If you think it needs to be spot fed like that, then then we can go ahead and try it. Of course, do your research, make sure that it's, the spot feeding is justified uh, and then go ahead and feed them. Well, one of the questions is how much do I feed them? Well, in, in this case, the, the best way to do this is kind of start with small amounts. Uh, go ahead and cut up small pieces of food, put it in there, feed them, keep an eye on it over the next few hours uh, and then over the next few days. And what you want to look for is, does it keep the food in or does it reject the food? Uh, this is something that we also do with anemones and, and something that a, a person would do at, at a personal level with their tank to determine the feeding needs. Uh, nobody can step up in front of you and say, that bubble-tipped anemone or that hammer coral needs to be fed a, a 5 millimeter long piece of um, table shrimp two times a week. We just can't do it. There's so many different environmental differences that come in in all of our tanks. You know, your your free nutrient levels in your water, the type of lighting that you have. So, there's no hard fast rules. So, usually what I'll say is you'll we'll start with a small piece of food, give it to the 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 coral, the anemone, uh the nadaria, whatever this that happens to fall into this category. Uh, go ahead and feed it and if it keeps the food down, then good. Then if it looks like it's it's responding very well to that feeding, then you probably got a good amount. Now you can go two ways from there. If it doesn't, if you're not really noticing anything, and the coral still looks um, in less than perfect condition or better, then we can try to increase that feeding slightly. So let's go a little bit bigger, or we can go a little bit more often. Now, to kind of determine the cap of this, what you're looking for is signs of rejection or that it's going to purge itself. And again, this is something that we see in anemones, but corals do it also. Uh, So what I'm referring to here is that if you see your corals and they're kind of looking a little bit deflated and then these mouth parts are gaping open and you've got this brown slime coming out of them, uh, and if this happens very recently after after a feeding, then you're starting to get the telltale signs that you're overfeeding that coral. Uh, And just like with anything else, you don't want to overfeed it. It's excess waste. It's not, you know, food that's not going to get processed and it's going to get jumped back into your tank. Um, And, uh, you know, and, you know, my opinion is it's probably not very healthy for the coral anyways. So those are some steps that you can do to kind of determine your feeding needs of your coral. Uh, Again, this should all be uh, supported by, you know, various research efforts that you you know, have done. So make sure that if you're going to be feeding your coral, you know, the right types of things to feed it and the best things to try to feed it. Um, again, so, you know, we're just going to go forward and use these steps to determine how much to feed it, how often to feed it. And it's really a learning process. And if somebody tells you that, oh, that, that um, bubble of coral needs X amount of food, X often, use it as a starting point. Um, and if it sounds like a lot, don't worry about it. Back yourself off. It's not that big of a deal. Let's build up, determine the right amount of food for that coral, and you know, progress onto the future uh, using a process like this. Uh, it is time-consuming, but everything is time-consuming. Uh, you don't want to do anything too fast. We know nothing good happens fast. Okay, so that's my little ramble on feeding corals, so on and so forth. Again, there's lots of stuff that I did not cover here uh, that we could probably go into detail. Again, like most of the topics, we could probably talk for hours uh, breaking all this down, but we're not going to. So if you have questions, comments, uh, anything like that, head over to TalkingReef.com and post them as a reply to this post in the forums uh, as with any show that we do. So let's move on to the second question or topic or whatever. Now, uh, this is directly out of the forums also. Uh, and this topic here is about the differences in Live Rock. Uh, there was a a thread, again, that had started in there. And I kind of plucked this thread out because I thought it was very interesting. It was a very good discussion. Uh, called out a lot of good points. Um, I can't remember if it was... Totally on topic, I think the topic strayed a little bit from the original question, which you know seems to happen commonly but uh that being said, there was some good information in here, and it was about the different types of live rock and so on and so forth so again, none of this here is really uh, original information i 'm going to kind of pull a lot of the information out of that specific thread and regurgitate it for for everybody that listens to the show because I know there's a lot of people that listen to the show that. Um, don't follow through the forums on a regular basis. And there's even there's even a lot of people that aren't even members of the forum. So um, I don't know why, but you're not. So you should go there and register. Okay, anyways. <laughs> um, so uh, here we're talking about this thread. We're talking about the differences in live rock. So uh, just to kind of spit back some of this information, uh, I'm, I'm going to start off with breaking down the three basic types of live rock that we have uh the first type of live rock well the first type of rock um it's not live it's it's base rock uh again this is uh the same thing as live rock except it's not live so it's it's the same components same materials it's it's got the the calcium carbonate type base to it um it just doesn't have any of the the life in it or on it uh so it's 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 usually very porous uh, it, it's usually you know it, you can usually go to your fish store, you can pick them up very cheap, uh, and they're good for uh, you know building up the base of your tank uh, and then placing your live rock on top. or actually, I mean some people do them all in uh, base base rock. Now th- that's a term that I use that's how I use base rock. There are some people that will use ugly live rock, so it's live rock. It's just not pretty rock. Uh, they'll use base rock in that term, uh, you know, they'll use the term base rock with that type of live rock. In that, in that case, they're referring to it as, you know, again, simply ugly rock that you don't want as in the presentation part of your, of your tank. It's going to go at the bottom of your rocks, it's going to go in the back of your rocks, it's just going to be used as the base foundation. Uh, but for this conversation, uh, base rock, and the term base rock is going to be used uh, to refer to Uh, dead rock, rock that's not alive. The next type of rock that we're going to talk about is the halfway point between uh, full live rock and base rock. And then this is going to be uncured live rock. Now an uncured, uh, what I'm going to be referring to is live rock that uh, you're going to get if you order online. Uh, Live rock that you're going to get from the local fish store uh, if it's just coming from a shipment and hasn't been sitting in their tank very long. Now, I know I covered a lot of this in some other shows. so I'm, Again, I'm not going to dive into detail uh, on this part. But basically, uh, again, you're going to get the stuff you're going to put in your tank. Um, it's going to have a lot of die off on it. Most of the stuff on uncured rock is dead or dying. Uh, it's it's going to be a source of life and diversity in your tank, but not as much as fully cured live rock. Uh, Most of the stuff on it is, you know, dead or dying. In fact, most of the stuff on it is usually, you know, close to being dead. Um, Getting into the stuff inside of it, you're going to usually still have your bacteria population, which is a good thing. Uh, But base, or I'm sorry, uncured rock is commonly used when starting up your tank. Uh, Because when you put it in your tank, you have a lot of stuff that's, like I said, dead or dying. This die off on this rock, which is High, it's a high level of die off is actually going to kickstart your cycle uh, that stuff's going to die start decomposing and cause your first ammonia spike which is then going to kick off you know the beginning of your nitrogen cycle uh you know so the stuff that you're going to have on there if you know there's not going to be much you know your coralline you can't count on it because you know coralline is one of those things that when when it comes in contact with the air for more than you know a short period of time uh, even if it's put right back on the water and it looks like it's okay, you're going to see after a day or two, it's going to start to bleach and die. Uh, it just happens. Anybody that's got, you know, a lot, lots of coralline in their tank on their back of their glass, they'll see if they do water changes that bring down the level of the display tank. Uh, commonly what you'll have is this line going across the back of your tank where the coralline dies. And that's the line where your water level goes down to when you do your water change. The amount of time that it takes to do your water change, all that coralline dies. Uh, so again, you're going to have lots of die off on it. Coralline algae and stuff like that get, is going to die, uh, you know, with extended air exposure. Um, you know, so th- that's essentially the live, the uncured live rock. If you have an established tank, you need to cure the live rock before you put it in your tank, and that's going to involve putting it in salt water in a barrel, container, bucket, something heated with some water current to allow it to. Uh, fully cure and, and go through its process. And uh, last but not least, I'm sure the rest of you know, as I've already talked about it, the final part is cured live rock. This is what you're going to get out of somebody's mature tank or from a local fish store that actually cures their live rock uh, in that they get it, it's in a tank, it's been in a tank for more than a couple days uh, that in the process is, you know, the curing process has had a chance to take place. Uh, this isn't a process that takes a million Months or you know, it doesn't take forever, Um, but it needs to be in that tank for a good, you know, for at least a good couple weeks. Um, Again, I mean, not that it takes a couple weeks to cure rock, but what will happen is a majority of that die off will take place, Uh, and then when the rock is removed, most of the stuff has already died off and begun decomposing. So, when you take it out of that, a lot of that stuff is not going to be there, it's going to be left in the water of the holding tank that it came out of. Uh, when placed in your tank, you'll still have some of the effects of working with the uncured uh, rock, but they won't nearly they won't be nearly as drastic um, uh, but again, cured live rock is is all ready to go I mean this is the kind of rock that you can take out of your tank and put into your tank or you know or other places we're we'll going to talk about in a minute so this is the stuff that's totally ready to go now moving on a little bit um, the differences you know something else that came up in there is uh, there's people that have marshall island rock there's p g f fiji rock atlantic ocean rock uh Tonga rock is there a difference in any of this um yes and no uh there 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 is a difference when it comes to appearance somewhat and shape uh you know inconsistencies we'll get into in a minute uh if you look at something like Tonga versus something like fiji uh, obviously they they look very different they're both types of live rock but they look very different uh there is the consistency is different the peri- i don't know porosity, or the the how porous it is i don't know if that's a word um how porous it is it changes between these different types um uh, but the effective results, I, I, personally, I don't think that they're really going to make a huge difference. Whether you go with Fiji rock, Atlantic rock, Marshall Island rock, uh, rock from the Solomons, rock from, you know, w- whatever, Tonga, um, essentially the results are going to be the same. You're going to have this this calcium carbonate-based rock. It's going to um, serve its purpose as long as it's, you know, the right stuff. So is there a difference? I guess it's probably more of a personal preference than anything else, but... Um, You know, I think there are, you know, some minor differences. Uh, Some of the other differences are, you know, going to be with the stuff that comes on that and we'll talk about that in a minute too. Um, but the next thing, which I kind of alluded to, was consistency differences. Now, there are some consistency differences. Um, Fiji rock, uh, Marshall Island rock is usually, you know, you know I think Atlantic also, they're, they're, they're usually quite porous. So you're going to have this big rock. Um, and I mean, wet, it's going to be heavy. And this is where the, the stores get you because they, they'll charge you by the pound. Uh, if you were to let that rock dry out, uh, a majority of its weight's going to be gone uh, because that weight is in the water. Not that it's a bad thing because the water is, is you know, keeping everything alive on it, uh, so you can't dry it out. But uh, that being said, they are very porous. And if you were to pick up a piece of base rock that's the same size as a piece of live rock, you're going to see there's a huge weight difference. And it's because this, this rock is, you know like I said, it's very porous. There's holes all over it. It is not a solid piece of rock. Now, what this does is it gives you a load of, of surface area. Now, by surface area, I don't mean the outer surface of the rock. Uh, So let's take this to a basic level. We have a solid rock with a single hole drilled right through the middle. So what's our surface area? Well, if we measure the area of the outside of the rock, that's our surface area. But we also have to measure the physical surface of the hole drilled through the middle and add that to the surface of the outside of the rock. When you combine those two together, you have the total surface area of the rock. Now, hopefully this helps bridge the gap, and what we're going to be looking at next is a piece of regular live rock. This is easiest seen with, you know, good quality rock or even base rock because it's very apparent. Uh, if you take a close look, you're going to see this thing is just riddled with holes. It's, it's almost, I mean, it's mostly air. I mean, if you're talking about a dry piece of rock. Uh, so what you, when we're talking about surface area, we're talking about the surface of the rock, and the surface within all of those holes, tunnels, grooves, canals, and everything through the inside of the rock. So you might have a, you know, a, let's, I know you're not going to have a square rock, but let's say you had a rock that was, you know, half a foot by a half a foot. So you're going to have, you know, a half a foot cubed or, you know, one and a half foot whatever of surface area. Um but now you can take that same th- same piece of rock a half foot half foot cubed but if you start adding in the surface area of all the holes inside of there it's just going to be it, it, Astronomical—the numbers is huge, and I don't know how to figure it out, but it's it's huge. Uh, And the surface area is what provides the home for all the different types of bacteria and in animals and life that's going to live inside of there. So again, increased surface area is really the key in why we use this porous rock, and why—well, not why we use it, but that why nature uses it, and that's why it's so efficient at doing what it does. So uh, I hope that's a highlight of consistency for you. The next important thing that I wanted to cover with Live Rock is something that, you know, personally is, to me, is very important. Something that you have to be careful of with Live Rock, whether you get it from a local fish store, from a friend, or an online fish store, it's shipped in, whatever, uh, is hitchhikers. Now, you know that we've, you know, we do a lot of work with the hitchhikers. We've had people on the show talking about this. Uh, hitchhikers are not a bad thing. Always, sometimes they are. Sometimes they are. Refer back to the Hitchhiker Show uh, a couple of weeks ago, and for more information there. Uh, you know, so good. You know, you kind of you got to take the good with the bad. Live rock is amazing for increasing the biodiversity in your tank. It's going to bring in loads and loads of life, and you know, again, increase the the microfauna within your system. But with that. Uh, you run the risk of bringing in uh, nuisance uh, hitchhikers, uh, bad hitchhikers, parasites, so on and so forth. So one of the things that I do recommend, whether you have an established tank or not, no matter what the case is, is you should make an attempt to quarantine your live rock. Put it in a tank, put some light on it. I know you're not, people say you don't have to light your rock, but just, just bear with me here. You know, put your water current in there, Light the tank, put your heater in there, and let it go. Now, what's going to happen is you're going to start seeing over, you know, over a little bit of time, you know, probably you know six to eight weeks. I don't know, you know, how, exactly how long you want to let it sit in there for. But what you're going to see is what's going to grow on that. You'll start seeing any types of algae, macroalgae that might be growing on there. Uh, you're going to see uh, anything. if you observe it. Observe it. You can get the chance to see anything that might be coming out of the rock. Um, you know, various types of worms that might be squirting out of there, and they may be good, they may be bad, but again, this is where we, we're, we're working with the whole isolate and identify. We're gonna, we're, we're kind of isolating it from your tank before you put it in there, give it a chance for stuff to come out so you can identify what's there. You know, you'll probably see some little crabs, some mollusks, some scallops, or not scallops, but little mollusks, uh, and you can get a chance to identify this stuff. Um, but then when doing stuff with, the, you know, having the light on there, you're going to get the opportunity to, you know, identify nuisance anemones, the Mohano anemones, Aptasia, uh, Planaria flatworms, which are photosynthetic flatworms. This is the kind of stuff that's not going prolifer- to proliferate in a tank that's in total darkness. So you don't need metal halides over it. Hell, you probably don't even need uh, power compacts over it, but just get some light over it. And it should spark, you know, any of these types of things to grow in there. And again, the point here is just to try to identify uh, potential hitchhikers in there so you can take appropriate precautions uh, to make sure you don't introduce those into your tank. Uh, A majority of us have experienced problem hitchhikers, whether they're flatworms or uh, parasites or, you know, anemones that we don't want in there, all this bad stuff that we don't want in there. Uh, If we can set up some time, put aside some time and try to go through this process with our rock uh hey, it, it's for your benefit. If you choose not to do it, 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 that's totally your call. Many people don't do this and still have success. But uh it, you know, you're going to run the risk of introducing stuff in there. Now is this a foolproof method? No, but I think it increases uh the chance that you're going to be able to identify uh potential hazards to your tanks or risks to your system. So all right. Well, I think I'm going to probably wrap up with the two topics. Uh we've pushed in, you know, a little over 30 minutes now and I think that's pretty good. Now, uh, I did release a show this week. Uh, it was the video episode. Uh, it was, You know, honestly, uh, it was something that I realized that I didn't cover very well when I did the phytoplankton show, so I didn't want to go back and cover that. Uh, and So uh, the thing was, it was a very basic topic. Uh, it was very short, uh, so I felt that doing another show was, uh, was a good thing. I, I didn't want to leave you all hanging with a little nine-minute video that was very basic. So, um, you know, future times I might not be so be so capable of doing a second show but you know hey this week I'm going to do it for you um some of the other things that I wanted to talk about want now that we're done with the two main topics um uh, you know we're going to kind of move into the community update part and the first thing is that the item that I mentioned in the beginning of the show and that was on this shirt of the week thing that we're going to be doing starting today uh what we're going to be doing is uh is these, they're they're phrases on these shirts. Uh, So each week we're going to have uh, a series of different apparel. We're going to have various types of of t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, all that stuff. And they're going to have the Talking Reef logo on the front and a funny catchphrase on the back. Um, These there, you know, like I said, they're going to be available multiple different styles. You're going to have t-shirts, sweatshirts, long sleeve shirts. You know, all this. I think polo shirts, all the different type of stuff. Um, and these shirts are going to be up uh, on this on, on the site for, you know, they'll be available. Uh, these shirts are going to cost twelve ninety nine. Well. Some of them are going to cost $12.99. Uh, I think they're going to start at around $10.99, something like that. Uh, and they're going to, whatever whatever the price it is, again, if you're buying, you know, if you're going to look for something, you know, bigger, heavier, sweatshirt, something like that, it's going to cost a little bit more. But uh, point being, they're going to be at a discounted price uh, the first week that they're available. Uh, so what we're going to do is we've got a whole list of them that we're preparing and we're going to be releasing. Um, and they're only going to be available at this price for the week that the, for the first week that they're announced. So, uh, starting this week, uh, we've got you know the the phrase of the week that we're going to be doing again on the front of the shirt. It's going to have the little Talking Reef logo, and on the back is going to be our catchphrase. Uh, and this week's catchphrase is "Hey baby, nice ras." <laughs> um, you know, okay, you guys can work with that however you want. Um, but that's going to be the catchphrase of the week. And it's now you know it's available on these shirts. It's on the back of them. Um, it's 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 really cool. You've got to head over. There's going to be links on the site. You'll see them once this shows up and uh, released to everybody. You'll see the links. Uh, but again, these the, they're going to be available at this discounted price for the first week that they're available. Uh, after this first week, when the next shirt is released or the next catchphrase is released, these shirts will still be available. The price on them is going to increase by a couple dollars and they're going to get moved to an archive section. They'll still be available. You'll still be able to go back into them, but you're not going to get the cost savings that you, you know, we would. So what we want to do is we want to get these new shirts out there, give the opportunity for everybody to buy them at a discounted price, um, but they're all going to be out there. Uh, Again, these and these shirts are going to be available starting today. So right now you're listening to this. You can head over there and you'll be able to get these. And not to just keep rambling on about this, but there's lots of other stuff that's going to be available in there. We're going to have standard shirts, uh, you know, standard sweatshirts that are only going to have Talking Reef logos on them. They won't have all the catchphrases on them, uh, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of other stuff. We're going to have journals, we've got handbags, um, you know, kids' clothing, license plates, and oh, Varian, we've got magnets, fridge magnets. <laughs> um, so, Make sure you check out that because we are going to have fridge magnets too, uh, and all different types of stuff. We're working on a couple more items that are going to be added up there. Uh, even some postage stamps with the Talking Reef logo, and hopefully we'll be able. We're going to start selling some co- hard copies of the podcast episodes on CD. Uh, again, you know this is all done through. I'm sure most of you are going to be familiar with it when you go see it. It's done through a Cafe Press store. Proceeds of all these products uh, in you know, there's not a whole lot that's made on these, you know we're not collecting we're not going to get rich off of this, but um the the markup price is very, very minimal, and hopefully it's going to be enough to cover the cost of running the store and getting the stuff going but uh, I really want to get this stuff out there to you guys and give you a chance to get it uh One of the important things I want to get it out because it's it's Macna time, and I would just be thrilled to see in hear that there is loads of people at the Macna conference with talking reef apparel, talking reef shirts. Uh, T-shirts, sweatshirts, so on and so forth. Uh, So if you get something like this and you go to MACNA, take a picture of it. Send it to me. I'd love to see a picture of you at MACNA with Talking Reef uh, swag. So, all right, that's enough about that. So, again, we're going to be doing the shirts, phrases weekly. Each week a new one's going to be announced, so look forward to that each week. Uh, The next thing I wanted to mention, uh, the talking reforms, we have some forum leaders. Uh, This is a new kind of role that was set up. Uh, There's all the details in the announcement on the website. I just kind of wanted to make it known to everybody uh, that hasn't caught the announcement already. Uh, Some of our good friends that have been around for quite a long time, Fat Walrus, Amphibious, and Varian uh, have been given the title of forum leaders. These are going to be people that are They have just went out of their way and have been excellent in supporting, promoting, helping out in the forums. It's just, it's been great. Again, you can go and get more details at the site. I just wanted to publicly announce and congratulate them and thank them for everything that they've done. Another thing I wanted to mention is uh, a friend of ours from the forums, uh, Jeff. uh, He's part of the beginning of a new reef site uh, for, I believe, if I remember correctly, it is in... Uh, the southern area of Washington, uh, Pullman, Moscow, Lewiston, Clarkston uh, areas, well, Pullman, Washington, Moscow, Idaho, Lewiston, Idaho, Clarkston, Washington, uh, surrounding areas. Uh, they started up a new reef club. It's a local reef club for all of you out there. Uh, I'm going to be helping out in the forums there, just trying to uh, get them up and running and stuff like that. Uh, the website is... I don't know how to really pronounce it, P-A-L-O-U-S-E, aquariums.org. I'll have a link to it in the, in the post for this show. So anybody that's listening is in that area, uh, the south, uh, southern, uh, eastern uh, Washington, Idaho area. Uh, I don't, I'm not familiar with that part of the country, so if those names sounded familiar, you're around that area, make sure you head over here. There's a new forum, uh, online uh, reef club starting up for you. Uh, Also, I'm going to be doing uh, a chat night uh, this Saturday. It's kind of a late notice depending on when you're getting the show. Uh, This Saturday, uh, the 16th, and that is going to be at the Marine Aquarium Society of Michigan, uh, masm.org. The chat night starts at 9 o'clock. I'll be in there hosting the chat night. So if you're interested, make sure you head over there and uh, show them how great the Talking Reef listeners are. I'll be in there. Uh, so that's pretty much a summary of that. Uh, last but not, you know, getting into the last couple things. Just want to remind everybody that to premium members uh, at the five or ten dollar a month range, uh, we are offering up uh, what we're what we're calling the Talking Reef or TR web space. Uh, this is essentially a personal website that you'll get that we provide for you as part of your membership. Uh, where you can set up your own website as much as you, you know, whatever you want to do with it. It's it's basically a full uh, package, and it's the you'll get your own domain name, which is going to be your Uh Anyways, head over to talkingreef.com website for for more information. There's information in the FAQ section. You'll see the FAQ link at the top. Uh, last but not least, listener call-in, and this is the usual uh, as with every show. Uh, if you've got any questions, comments, uh, introduction, I'd love to get some more introductions. The uh, like they've done before. The you're listening to the Talking Reef podcast, or this is so and so for whatever. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Get record up some introductions for me. Get them in there so I can play them on the show. I'd like to get. Uh, I'd really love to be able to start off each show with a couple of these introductions. So uh, whether you're in the car right now and listening to this, you're at home on the computer. I've got a solution for both of them. If you're in the car, the number is 586-486-3357. Give me an introduction, and you can record it there. Now, you're at home. You don't want to make a long-distance call. No problem. I got you covered there, too. Download Skype from Skype.com. Plug in my screen name, Talking Reef. You're going to hear You'll call it up. You'll hear the voicemail. Leave me a message there. Same difference. I will be able to pull that voicemail and record it up. Now, what if you don't have Skype, you're at your computer, go to the Talking Reef website. On the home page and on every page, on the left-hand side, there's a sidebar there. You're gonna see a blue box it's called a comment line. Just hit the record button and you're off. Mac, Windows, it works. Uh, it's Java-based, so it's gonna work cross-platform. So, leave me some comments, some introductions. Let me get them played on the air. So. Well, geez, you know, so much for just having a quick second show uh, for the week. Uh, we're already at almost 45 minutes, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show for this week. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And if you stuck around this end and you want your prize, sorry, I don't have one for you. But I do appreciate you sticking around this long. Um, anyways, that's going to wrap it up, and I will talk to you all next week.